for that beautiful ministry of music that invites that sweet spirit to be with us all on this absolutely gorgeous Sunday morning. Thank you, Audrey, for your prelude. That was also very, very beautiful. I want to greet you and welcome you to this worship service in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. We count it a joy to have Elder Mike Lidberg and his family with us this morning. They come from the Oak Grove Restoration Branch. And so we're so thankful to have you, and um, I invite us all to continue to lift Mike up in, in your prayers as he takes this place to deliver that message that's been prepared. Last week, I went for a walk in the woods, and I got kind of a late start uh, and as I was walking, the sun had gone down, and it was gradually getting darker and darker. And as I was walking, I came up to a snake in the middle of my path. And I hesitated, and I stopped. And I'm certainly not a what would, you would call a snake enthusiast. And I kept my distance, but I leaned down to get a closer look. It was a beautiful snake, had a really interesting pattern to it. Best I can tell, it, it maybe was a what's called a rat snake. It wasn't tiny, it wasn't huge, but as I looked down, it was coiled up in a defensive posture, and I was looking at it, and he was looking at me, and... Um, I decided to keep my distance and just move around this snake, keeping my eye on him. And, and I, as I moved around, I could see he was following me. And uh, I got to the other side, and I looked down the path where I was headed. And I decided, well, I'll just take another look. It's such a pretty snake. 
and I turned around, and I thought for sure it had just disappeared. And I looked there for what I thought the longest time, trying to find the snake, and uh, it had been concealed in my different view. It was like it had disappeared, but it hadn't moved. And I saw it again, and it was still looking at me. And you know, um, our enemy is very deceptive. Comes in many forms of beauty, attracts our interest, and at times it may be there and we may not perceive it. It's very cunning, crafty, deceptive. And you can better believe the rest of my walk home, I kept my eyes peeled for more snakes. Now, I realize telling this story is not improving my chances of getting Tracy to go on a walk with me uh, the next time I ask. But, um, you know, our, we have to be very aware and uh, perceptive. And we do that through the Spirit of Christ and in His Word. And we are not to be fearful. Um, one thing that I know is that we worship a God of power, a God of justice, a God of mercy, a God of patience and long-suffering towards we, His creation. And so we must put our faith and trust in Him to show us the things as they are. For a call to worship, I'd like to read out of the 18th Psalm, beginning with verse 1. I will love thee, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. My God, my strength, in whom I will trust. My buckler and the horn of my salvation, and my high tower. I will call upon the Lord, for he is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from mine enemies. Let's turn to hymn number 13.
Our Heavenly Father, we come to You this morning on this beautiful, glorious Sunday with broken hearts and contrite spirits, hungry for the message that You have placed on Mike's heart, looking to fulfill us, looking to feed us, looking to repair us, and provide us direction. We are so grateful, Lord, to gather here today with Your Spirit among us. We look to rise up, Lord, and to um, feel Your Comforter that will be with us. We look forward to the service ahead, Lord, and we say these things in Jesus Christ's most heavenly name. Amen. If you'll bow with me. Our Father, thank you for this day. Um, thank you for everything you've given us. I'd ask that... Um, the money that we given here this here for my offering, um, that it might it might bless that you might bless all those that are here, that are give and those that do desire to give but cannot, that you might bless them also and um, that, that money might be used according to thy will in way and that would be pleasing to thee. In Jesus' name I ask thee. Amen. For scripture reading this morning, I'd like to turn to the book of Mark, chapter 4. I'm going to start in verse 28. I'm going to read through the end of the chapter. Mark 4. And the same day when the even was come, he said unto them, Let us pass over unto the other side. <clears throat> Excuse me. 
And when they had sent away the multitude, they took him even as he was in the ship. And there were also with him other little ships. And there arose a great storm of wind, and the waves beat over into the ship. And he was in the hinder part of the ship, asleep on a pillow. And they awoke him and said unto him, Master, carest thou that we perish? And he arose and rebuked the wind and said unto the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said unto them, Why are ye so fearful? How is it that ye have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said one unto another, What manner of man is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him?
I want to echo the um, sentiments of what's already been shared this morning, that it is a beautiful day, not just because of the sun shining outside, but because of His Spirit that resides in this place. And I thank you um, for inviting our family um, to come and to share in ministry with you this day. Um, It is um, a joy to uh, be able to minister with family, to have Val and Heidi uh, provide the ministry of music. Um, I want to just give a little, maybe a little background on myself, since some of you may not know who I am. Um, And that's all right. I'm not a famous person by any stretch of the imagination. And and, uh, um, I look forward to providing the ministry that the Lord would see fit to touch me with today. But uh, my wife and I, we come to you uh, from the Oak Grove Restoration Branch, as has been mentioned. Um, Our children, Nathan and Heidi, um, who you've already seen, Heidi, uh, provide the Ministry of Music. Um, I grew up um, in Lone Jack, um, next door to my grandparents and aunt and uncle on one side, um, and uh, went to have been a member at the Oak Grove Restoration Branch for pretty much my whole life. Um, and my wife, Valerie, grew up in Wellington um, and uh, went to church at Lexington. And uh, we met in the middle at Oak Grove, between, Oak Grove, or between uh, Lone Jack and Wellington. We met there and, and made a home there uh, and live there now. Um, and so it's a pleasure to be here with you this morning. Um, I want to share with you, um, certainly I shared a scripture And we'll touch on that scripture. But I wanted to share with you something that's been laid upon my heart. Um, And that's, and it's interesting that the class this morning, if you were here for the class, uh, Brother Steve mentioned some things. And as he did so, I thought to myself, I wonder if he's been looking at my notes. And that's a good thing. Um, But there were some some phrases and some words that um, that he used, which were interesting, that don't normally get said. And I thought that could only be the hand of the Lord saying that. But there's this, uh, there's this church publication that we have used in a small group and then in an elders class this last year that I've been engaged in and have helped teach a few things out of it. Um, and it's this, this book called A Call of Christ in an Age of Dilemma. And this booklet was prepared almost 60 years ago, and put out by the church. Um, it says by Arthur Oakman, but really it was, it was a message um, that was given out by the church um, from the, the Quorum of Apostles back in 1964. And uh, that first little message only takes up a couple pages of this booklet. The rest is um, commentary, if you will, um, on that message. And it was used, it was intended use was to be a resource for the camps and reunions that year in 1964, um, to be a blessing to the church to focus their attention and their efforts on Christ and the age that they lived in. And it's interesting to me that that title speaks of the age of dilemma. And it kind of grabs my attention and, and, and makes me wonder what was going on in 1964. I wasn't there. I can't tell you. I don't know. But uh, 
You know, when I've heard some of the uh, some of the men that have gone on before me and have spoken of their younger days in the church, the 40s, the 50s, the 60s, they speak of it as a as a high point in their life in the church, uh, where membership was was uh, high, where there were many programs and, and youth and engagement and those things going on. And I wondered uh, what this meant, this title of this book, The Age of Dilemma. And you know, if we were... If we were to ask one another, as we uh, visit in the back afterwards, if someone were to ask you, what, what word comes to your mind about the condition of the world today? What would, you, what would you think of if you thought of the condition of the world today? What word describes that in, in best? There were some words that I thought of that I've jotted down here. Troubled. Hopeless, uncertain, confused. Those are some of the things that I think about when I engage in the world today and I see the things going on. But that's not all there is to the story, obviously. God created us that we might be with Him fully and completely in His presence. to experience the love and the joy and the peace that He has in store fully and completely. And we know as we look around and as we experience life that that's not exactly as it is in our lives today. There's things that are difficult. There's things that we don't experience in its fullness as God created it to be. I want to look back at this at this uh, this little booklet from this message that was given by the the apostles in that day some 60 years ago. I want to read just a couple sentences that I grabbed out of this this message that spoke of their day and the things that they were facing and see if this sounds maybe familiar to our day as well. We greet the saints of God in the certainty of our Lord Jesus Christ in a day which is fraught with confusion. On every hand, men face an enigmatic dilemma. It is true that much of life today goes on within a dilemma, which has arisen in the midst of great struggle. Probably the greatest dilemma of our time lies in the uncertainty over the purpose of life. It is characterized by fears and anxieties, springing from a constantly changing standard of values. This dilemma is of man's own making. The strife and struggle, the anxieties and fears, the uncertainty of values exists because man has chosen this to go this way. That's what was being quoted and said of their day in 1964. Almost 60 years later, 2023, almost 24, what is the situation and the dilemma that we face. We could even go back further to 1830, 1823, when Joseph was led to the plates. What was the situation in the world at that day? There was dilemmas in every age. And if we go back and back and back, we can find history that says every age that has ever existed 
has faced a dilemma. And so I thought, well, what about the very beginning? Adam and Eve. They were in this place of perfection, weren't they? This garden where they walked and talked with God face to face. This, and they experienced that joy and that love and that peace like we are intended to as they were created to. And then a choice was made. Genesis 3, 11. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it became pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make her wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also to her husband with her and he did eat. And the eyes of them both were opened and they knew that they had been naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. And they heard the voice of the Lord God as they were walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife went to hide themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. Again, we were created to be with God fully and completely in his presence. That's why he formed us. And that's our intended purpose. And we chose to hide from his presence. This is the dilemma that began in the beginning in that garden experience and has rolled down through every age that has ever existed of humankind to our day today. That dilemma is that we are separated from him because of sin. Scripture reading that I read to you this morning was of a word picture, if you will, of the disciples on the sea in the midst of their own dilemma. The storm raged. They recognized really quickly that their outcome was not going to be a good one unless something changed. They turned to Jesus to look for help. But first they had to recognize that there was something wrong with their situation. We too have to look at our lives and recognize that we are not where we should be in this current state. That God has designed us and placed and purposed us to be with Him for all eternity. And there are choices that we have to make in this probationary time that He has given us so that we may return again to be with Him. But we first have to recognize that there's a problem with what we have in this life. If we go along and agree with what the world would have us to believe, and that is that this is all there is, and this is normal, this storm that rages around us is just part of the existence that we will always have. But that's not true. I want to read another example of a disciple in a boat on a troubled sea. Matthew 14, verse 20. We all know these stories well. Because there is deliverance out of the storm. And when the evening was come, he was there alone. But the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with the waves, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them, walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a spirit. And they cried out for fear, but straightway 
Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee on the water. And he said, Come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw the winds boisterous, he was afraid and began to sink. He cried, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said unto him, If, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? And when they were come into the ship, the wind ceased. You know, there's a tendency of man, because we all know ourselves so well, just like Peter, to get wrapped up when things get boisterous, when the waves get high and they start crashing into the into the ship. And we lose our focus. We take our eye off of Christ. We get distracted. We get caught up. We look and focus on the wrong things. And it is our nature to do so. And we have to guard against that. And we have to be aware of that fear that can come in, that distraction, that overwhelming um, surf that can come into our lives. You know, I thought of those stories of these disciples that I've read to you, and I thought, you know, some of them, before they became Jesus' disciples, were fishermen. They made their living that way. And more than likely, um, they had been in storms before and were probably pretty experienced sailors. And when these, um, especially the scripture reading that I read to you at first, when he was asleep in the ship, they probably had conversation with themselves before waking him, thinking, we can probably handle this. It's not too bad. We've got this. You know, we don't need to wake him. And then it got worse and worse to the point where they couldn't handle it anymore. It was something that they hadn't experienced before, and it was beyond their control. And at that point, they had to look to a different authority, to a different level of ability beyond themselves. Mankind has our limitations. We are to um, do our best, but if there is a this dilemma that we find ourselves in is one in which there is no pathway that we can repair. There's no way that we can get back to our Heavenly Father on our own account or on our own merit. And we must look to the One who can, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. There's a hymn, and I think uh, Tony, when he called and asked if I would... uh, um, share with you. He kind of just mentioned that there's there's a theme that you um, within your congregation will be uh, focusing on this year, and that hymn speaks of turning our eyes upon Jesus, look full in His wonderful face, and that the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. What a wonderful hymn to focus our attention and to remind us that these distractions, that these waves and the winds that exist all around us and sometimes within us cause us to lose our focus and to take our attention off of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And that we need to be reminded continually to look to Him. 
as our Savior. I want to look at another example in the Scriptures. I'm not going to read to you the account, but I will um, rehearse to you a story that I'm sure you know very well. That's of uh, in the Old Testament, Daniel. And when we think of Daniel, we think of Daniel in the lion's den. And that's certainly an uh, experience that is memorable for us to remember from probably our youth as we were taught these scriptures and taught these stories um, about men of faith. And Daniel was not alone in his situation. He had some companions. He had three other companions. And his situation was one, um, actually, kind of looking at the uh, historical records and when everything happened, you know, he would have been a contemporary of uh, Nephi and, and, and that family that left and came to this new world um, about that same time frame. They would have been a little younger, um, Daniel and his companions. But they were, they were there. You know, we know that uh, Lehi and Nephi and the family left before the destruction of Jerusalem. Well, Daniel was there with his young companions when Jerusalem was destroyed and taken captive. And they, as children, were taken captive into Babylon and told to serve this king. And they had a decision to make, just like we always have choices to make in whatever situation we're in. And uh, these young children um, were told that they had to eat the king's meat and drink the king's wine. And according to their belief and their upbringing, that was not what God wanted them to do. And so they had a choice to make. And Daniel, in chapter 1, says that he purposed in his heart that he would not eat the king's meat. And he knew, probably, he had to consider, and, and as all of us do, we have to consider what the outcomes of our decisions are, and he knew that he was taken captive by this king, that he was in a foreign land, and that he was going to make a choice against what the king wanted him to do. That that might end in his um, death. And I'm sure that was a consideration that crossed his mind. But he chose to honor and fear his Lord more than he wanted to honor and fear the king. And if that meant death, then he would follow his Lord to his death. He would sacrifice the easy way out, which would be to go along and just do what they asked, but to serve his Lord and to put him first as what was spoken of in the class this morning. And that does take a sacrifice. That is not easy to do, to stand up to the things that we are engaged in and that the, the storm that rages around us and to say, no, I'm going to focus on my God and I'm going to put Him first in my life. And it wasn't just that situation that they had to make a choice. We know that the three companions of His, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, were told to bow to an idol. And if they didn't, they were going to be thrown into the fire. And they had a choice to make. And the choice they made cast them into the fire. But they were saved. And Daniel, another situation, was told that he couldn't pray to his God 
But they had to pray to the king and kneel and pray to the king. And he chose immediately when that proclamation was made to go home, to open up his windows so that all could see, and he knelt and prayed to his God. Over and over and over again, these young men chose to serve God and to put him first in their life. And we can see from those examples in each and every situation that the Lord honored that and saved them from the situation which would have most assuredly probably brought death. Over and over again, whether the examples of the disciples on the sea or Daniel and his companions, we see that the answer to the dilemma of life, the situations that we are engaged in every day, is to look to Jesus. He is the only answer that we can look to for our situation. Second Nephi 13, 31. And now behold, my beloved brethren, this is the way, and there is none other way nor name given under heaven, whereby man can be saved in the kingdom of God. And now behold, this is the doctrine of Christ, the only and true doctrine of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Ghost, which is one God without end. Amen. Turning to our Lord and Savior is our only hope with the dilemma that we face. I want to read a poem of my grandfather's titled, Our Only Hope. Some of you uh, may or may not uh, know my, my grandfather, Ira Brossom, was a poet. He wrote hundreds of poems, and, and mom, my mom has collected those and put them in a way that I can find them and search them and, and print them off and read them. And this one in particular not only goes along with uh, what I want to share, but um, is one of the ones that touches me. Um, and whenever I read some of these words, it reminds me of my grandfather because it's his words that he wrote down. And I can sense him saying these things because I've heard him say these things in the past. It's titled, Our Only Hope. The gift of life sent down to bless and save mankind is not withheld from any soul but free for all to find. So if your heart is bleeding and no one seems to care, if hope it seems has left you and you fall into despair, the earth rolls on her wings and the stars give forth their light, the sun in all its glory dispels the dark of night. May the light of Christ enfold you and may it ne'er depart that love and peace may reign supreme and fill each aching heart. The scriptures truly tell us, it's written in their pages, Jesus is our only hope, the desire of all the ages. That poem, these scriptures, this little pamphlet, point us continually to look to Christ. He is the one and the only one that has power over the wind and the waves, as was mentioned in class this morning. He is the only one that can calm the storm that rages around us and sometimes within us. He's the only one that can say, peace, be still. 
and the way it sees. Mark 4.33, part of that scripture, the very last verse of that scripture I read for the scripture reading, says, What manner of man is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? At that time, they didn't know fully who was in their midst. They knew he was a great preacher. They knew he was a man of wonder. They didn't know who was in their midst fully at that time. They were still trying to figure that out. And sometimes we, too, don't fully know our God like we should. We don't have that relationship with Him as we should to know that He is capable of all things and that things that don't seem possible in our lives, He can make happen. We have more to learn of our Heavenly Father. That He is no ordinary man. That He is our God, our Father, our Master and our King. That He came to this earth to give His life for us. That we might live. That He might save us. I want to share a testimony um, of, a, of one of the darkest and stormiest days of our family's um, time. And I say our family and I collectively mean um, our greater family, my mom and, and brothers and sisters and um, extended family. I share this uh, for no other reason than to testify of the goodness of God in the midst of dilemma and strife. And that Jesus is faithful to be there and speak peace into our lives when we need it. The day was uh, a Wednesday, June 29, 2011. It was uh, a day that I was home um, in the middle of a day. And I was home because I was off work on bereavement. My grandfather, Ira, who I just read the poem of, um, he had passed away uh, with a long battle of Parkinson's and a great struggle near the end of his life um, just five days previous to that. Um, I remember my dad coming into work. My dad and I worked together. Um, and I remember him coming in that Friday morning and letting me know that my grandfather had passed. And we sat and talked for a while about memories. And so we, uh, this was the following Wednesday, and, and actually the night before, that Tuesday evening, we were all gathered at my parents' house um, talking about Grandpa with the minister who was going to be officiating the funeral. And we were all gathered as a family, and we were uh, just sharing testimonies and sharing things and, and having that service uh, organized just the night before. And then this is the following day, that Wednesday, and, and uh, middle of the day, about 1, 1.30 or so, uh, I get a call from my sister, um, Sarah English. I don't know if some of you know her or not. I get a call from my sister, and she says, uh, uh, with, with a lot of anxiety in her voice, she said, Dad fell. Get to the hospital now. And I said, I don't know what you're talking about. What do you mean? What do you mean? And she just said, Dad fell. Get to the hospital now. She told me what hospital, and I get in the car and I drive way too fast to get to the hospital with all kinds of emotions and questions going on in my heart and mind. Get to the hospital, um, 
get escorted over to a room and and uh, the man opens the door and I see uh, the anguish and the expressions on my mom and my sister's face. Um, and I knew what they were going to say before they said it. That my father was gone. That he was no longer on this earth, but that he had returned to his heavenly father. And immediately, in that moment, um, seeing my mom and my sister and other family members that were there in that room, this uh, the storm that I spoke of, um, with the turbulent seas, began to rage um, and beat upon the little ship that we were in as a family. And it was tough in those first moments to take that in and to handle that. For these were uh, two men that were uh, stalwarts in my life who uh, I was able to work with my grandfather for the first couple years of my working as a teenager, as a laborer for a stonemason. So I had a lot of close relationships with my grandfather and also with my father who I worked with um, at my current job before he passed away. And so I confided in these men and, and, and to not just myself, this is my testimony, but certainly every one of my family experiencing the same thing of loss and of struggle. How to deal with that? Where do we go from here? The confusion, the troubled uh, thoughts and the troubled sea that was all around us in our little ship. We went uh, later that day. We knew that we needed to support mom in her loss. So we went home as a family and, and comforted her and supported her as much best we could. Knew that we needed to stay with her for several days um, to bring her comfort and to help her out. And at one point that evening, um, that Wednesday evening, I uh, was overwhelmed and needed to go outside. I needed to, uh, and I'm not going to um, say this in any um, way to, to uh, um, commend this action to anyone, but I went out with frustration and with uh, with blame in my heart to point my finger at God and to accuse Him of taking my father. Because that's, as you know, as the emotions swell, there's all kinds of things that uh, can come into your heart and mind. And I went outside because I needed to be alone. And I was struggling to support and to help my family. And I went out with the intention and with the action of pointing to God and saying, you messed up. You did wrong here. You took my father and you had the power to save him. And you didn't save him. And again, I do not commend that. But I will say that we worship a loving God who can take our frustrations with him. He can turn that into a loving concern for us. When I said those words, you didn't save him, there was a series of 
impressions or testimonies that came flooding into me. And I know they were not of me because, they, because the attitude and the thought process that I was under at that moment was not conducive to receive anything of myself. The only thing that I had to give to the situation was accusation and blame. But God chose to bless me and remind me of some situations in my father's life that he had saved him. And I say that it happened in an instant, and I don't know how long it transpired, only that it came to me in an instant. But the Lord showed me, starting before he was born, my father, that he had saved him. My grandmother would tell a story when we were kids growing up of my father, um, that she knew he was special because of a situation that happened when she was um, still pregnant with him. And she was living uh, in Illinois at the time, south of Chicago, and she was at home alone. And she was uh, at the top of the stairs, getting ready to go down the stairs to the cellar. And she, uh, she said she felt a presence behind her, and she knew she was in the house alone. She felt a presence behind her that she felt as if there was hands placed upon her and pushed her. And she said she flew down the flight of some 14 steps, not touching one of them, and landed on her stomach at the bottom of the stairs on the concrete. She immediately feared for the life that was within her, the son that was within her. She immediately went to the hospital, fearing for her own health, but also for the health of the baby. Got checked out, and the doctor said, there's nothing wrong with this child. You're bruised, but there's nothing wrong. He's healthy. Everything's well. And immediately when that happened, that first impression that came to my mind, I heard the words, I did save him. And they were not words of response to my accusation, as a man would with another man who gets accused of something and then retorts with a, um, another accusation saying, Nuh-uh, not me. It was the words of love. It was words of compassion from a Heavenly Father saying, I did save him. Right after that instance, another testimony came to mind that I heard my parents talk about when I was younger, but it was before I was born. So my parents first moved out to the house there in Lone Jack. I think it was their first night staying in the house. And the next morning, my dad's going to work. And it's a new way because it's the first time he's driven to work from, from that house. And it's pouring down rain. And he's in this old 70s Impala. He comes to a, a fork in the road, steps on the brakes, hydroplanes right through the intersection. Off an embankment, hits a, a rock at the bottom of the embankment. He ends up losing, if any of you knew my dad at all, uh, his first four teeth on the top were fake. <laughs> he lost them in that accident with the steering wheel. But, again, after that impression came to me, after that testimony came to me, I heard the words, I did save him. The third situation that came to my mind was when I, one I remember specifically and vividly, was when, uh, when I was probably 12, 10, 11, 12, I don't remember the exact age. But I do remember that we were out as a family, we were doing errands, getting groceries or something, we got home, we had this old um, 
80, mid-80s Lincoln Continental. And it had these, instead of springs for suspension, it had this, these airbags. Real fancy for the day in the 80s. Um, these airbag suspension. And it was given, it was not working right. And uh, so we get home, it's kind of not working right. We all go inside, and Dad's like, I'm going to check this thing out. I'm going to see what's going on here. And so we're inside for a while, and uh, we're all kind of like, well, you know, what's Dad doing out there um, in the garage? Somebody better check on him. So I don't know who went and checked, my sister or myself. Somebody went out and checked. Whoever went out recognized that Dad was struggling because he had gotten underneath the car. He had hit a switch that is an automatic air pressure release and lets the air out of the airbags. And the car, with the weight of the gas tank, was sitting on his chest. And he was struggling for air. And uh, obviously everyone went out got on the bumper of the car and tried to lift. And if any of you know my family, my mom is not a large individual. We were all 10, 11, 12, 13-year-olds maybe. Um, We probably didn't have the strength to lift up an 80-something Lincoln Continental to get that off of him. We knew that when that car came up that we were assisted by angels helping us lift that car off of him. And he got out. And he was able to recover. There was no severe damage. Um, And when that testimony came to my mind again, I heard the words, I did save him. The last testimony that came to my mind was one of not a physical salvation, but more of a spiritual nature. When I was seven, um, it's a harder testimony to share because it's one of a fault of my father something that he did wrong in his life and the path that he went down was not pleasing. When I was seven years old, he, he made a choice, a series of choices, uh, to leave our family for another family. And he uh, was sought after by many priesthood member, by his mother, by many individuals who tried to talk to him and speak to him and convince him that the path that he was going down was not what the Lord would have him to do. And he wouldn't listen to anybody. And he was gone for the period of about three or four weeks. And he testifies, and I remember him testifying and sharing with me when I would ask him about it, that he said one morning he woke up in this different home, different place, different family intending never to come back to ours. That he said that uh, it was as if scales were peeled off of his eyes that had blinded him to the truth and caused him to be deceived. And he said it was as if scales were removed from his eyes and he was able to see the sin that he had engaged in. And the path that he was headed down was that of destruction that he knew he had to repent. And thankfully, he did. And thankfully, my mother was willing to forgive him and that our family was able to be restored once again. It took time. It was not easy. But what a blessing our God is that he reaches out and he touches 
and he heals and he blesses. I know there were many prayers that went up on our family's behalf during those few weeks. I know that he had interest in our home and in our family. And I'm thankful that uh, he got through to my father. And he saved him. And those words were once again spoken. And I realized that my, my thoughts and my heart and my desires as I went outside to go point my finger at God and to blame Him and to accuse Him were done out of selfishness, done out of hurt and pain, and done not in the right spirit. But that He can take even situations like that And He can still speak peace into our lives. He can still touch our hearts, even though they are not maybe as they should be. And as I knew that He had saved my father on so many occasions, not only physically, that we could have him for that point in our lives, but that He had saved him spiritually. And what a joy it brought to my heart. And I was able to go in and share with my family what I had just experienced and try to bring comfort to them. That doesn't mean that the road was easy or that all the waves were abated. It was still tough. And it still is tough not to have those that we love with us. And I know there are ones here who miss their loved ones just as I do. And we feel that they were taken maybe before we would like them to be. What a joy and how grateful we should be for the time that He has granted us. Each and every day is a gift. And we should praise Him for it. We should also praise Him that He has power over the storms of life that sometimes knock us off course, get us distracted, and get us thinking there is no hope. But in Him there is hope. And I want to remind, and my desire this morning is to just remind us of that fact that Jesus is our only hope. I want to read in closing one, um, just a couple more sections out of this uh, message from the apostles back in almost 60 years ago. As they kind of close their remarks of their message, they give the same counsel. To look to Jesus. The task of the church today is to motivate men to live unto Christ. To be freed from the dilemma means to break out from its enfolding shroud. Merely creating methods and devices to guide us through this spiritual fogginess will not produce the desired results. As long as we cannot see, we lack assurance. Our salvation is to be found through a limitless faith in God which will not tempt us to reduce him to our size. At the center of the restoration is the remarkable proclamation, This is my beloved Son, hear ye him. It is of the living reality of his presence that we, the quorum of twelve apostles, bear our witness. We commend him to you as the Son of God. May you always be his faithful followers. We pray that his peace will be upon you. That's my desire for us to stay. That we find His peace 
by looking to Him and Him alone. May the light of Christ enfold you and may it ne'er depart. That love and peace may reign supreme and fill each aching heart. The Scriptures truly tell us, it's written in their pages, Jesus is our only hope, the desire of all the ages. Almighty and everlasting Heavenly Father. It is in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, that I would approach thy throne at the close of this service. And Lord, I would do so on behalf of this thy congregation, a portion of thy body, 
Lord, we are so grateful for our brother, for his family, for the testimony and for the witness which he has borne, which they have borne of knowing and loving you. And Lord, we have much reason to reflect. Our hearts are drawn out mightily, Lord, in the vastness, the love, the compassion, the grace, and the caring, and the justice which you have shown unto us and to all of your creation. And Lord, I would ask that you would bless your people. That, Lord, as the storms of life rage around us, and although they may not calm as we desire, we know that You are with us, Lord, and we pray that uh, Your peace may abide with us. We ask, Lord, that You would heal the hearts of Your people, that You would bless them and prepare them for the days ahead that the testimony of Your Son would resonate within them and would be present with them forever. And Lord, that we would draw near unto You as these times grow more difficult, as these storms grow darker. And so, Lord, I would ask a blessing upon Your people. I would ask that we might draw ever closer to You. I pray, Lord, that we would trust in You forever. Lord, I pray that our hearts might be made glad by the witness and the testimony of Your Son. Lord, I pray not only for the spirituality of Your people, but I pray as they go, through, go on in their lives this week that You would bless them in their vocations, that You would bless them in their interactions, and in their comings and their goings. Would You please bless their flocks? Would You please bless their fields, their stores? Lord, would You please bless them that they may forgive as You have forgiven them. And Lord, at this time as we prepare to have a meal together, we ask that You would bless it and transform it that it might nourish and strengthen our bodies that we might go forth in the strength of that nourishment, Lord, to help to bring forth Thy kingdom. You are greatly to be praised, O God. May all the praise, may all the honor, may all the glory be Thine forever and ever is our prayer. And we would ask this now and pronounce this benediction now upon Your people and in the name of Your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.